Thanks for tuning in to Aggie Catholic Talks. In this talk, Andrew Whaley, founder of Calix, brings the insight of 30 years of missional hospitality to the student leaders responsible for our annual Connect Retreat. Here, he covered topics including mission, hospitality, and the awakening of desire. Be sure to subscribe to Aggie Catholic Talks to listen to future talks like this one. Thanks, God bless, and gig'em. All right, there was, a, there was a word they told me to use that starts with an H. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I got... Hello! No, it's not. That's not. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Don't, I'll get it. Hail! No, that's not it. No. Ahoy! No. That's, yeah, I'm close. Howdy! Howdy! Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Oh, I love a and uh, You guys are a good time. All right, I am so happy to be here. My name is Andrew Whaley. As he said, I, uh, I have founded a project called Calyx. Um, and uh, man, I'm just, I'm grateful to be here. I've um, been privileged to have a lot of Aggies in my life. For a while, I ran a cafe in Denver, Colorado at the Augustine Institute, and we had quite a few um, Aggies. And I didn't know where, I didn't know a and I didn't know, where, where's that at, you know? And I started noticing that some of the people that I kind of really connected with that I really liked and that really kind of got it and that something drew me to them, they were all Aggies. And, and in fact, I was even made an official Aggie and giving whooping, giving, giving whooping privileges at one point. And then Mizzou joined the SEC and I'm a Mizzou fan. So I kind of got, I didn't get them, I didn't get them removed, but I didn't get them. Uh, Man, that was mean, you know. I, I don't like AM anymore. I, uh, play, for, I don't play for Missouri or anything. I'm just from Missouri, man. Come on. All right, so. Okay, are we done attacking my state? Um, so, yeah, so I just really loved, I loved all the Aggie kids there. And then um, I'd always, want, I'd heard about this place, St. Mary's, and I heard about AM. And, and then um, I'd been kind of having conversation with Carolyn about different ideas that I, you know, that I have in this world and what I do and how that might have anything to do with A&M. And, um, and then she invited me to her wedding. And I still hadn't gotten vaccinated yet. And I'm an old fat guy. So I was like, I'm not going to go anywhere until I get vaccinated. And, and so, um, and then I did finally get the first shot. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go because I've always wanted to go. So I came here and I had a great time. And I just fell in love with St. Mary's. And as I was leaving, I got in my car. And I was like, man, Lord, give me, I don't know what I could do. But I mean, give me a chance to serve that community. I would really love to, to, to have some way to offer what I do for that community. And then Carolyn called and said, hey, there's this thing called Connect. And I'm like, yeah, totally, I'll do it. So this is an answer to prayer. Ah, uh, now you feel bad about hissing at me, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, who, who, who am I? Uh, my name is Andrew Raylan. I am the founder of a project called Calyx, as I told you. We, um, you know, um, you might be wondering what, what, what in the world is a Calyx, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's the, a Latin word that means cup or chalice. Like, it's the word that you would hear, like, in the Latin mass when you're talking about the, the chalice on the altar, right? And it's a, it's a symbol of, um, kind of bringing the cup into the cup, so to speak. You know, it's kind of like this cup of community, this cup of community, you know. Um, and so um, what do we do? What does Calyx do? We design, build, train, and launch hospitality spaces as 
context for missional engagement with the deeply unchurched. That's a really, that's a bunch of words, right? <laughs> that's a bunch of lingo and stuff. What do we really do? Okay, let me, let's make this local, okay? We work with something like carport coffee to reach the people that were in the crowd at Dragyland last week. That's, that's what we built. So a little different engagement because you guys are kind of in this last pocket of Christendom down here in, in, in College Station where most people are kind of still have a lot in common with you, right? Shh, don't tell anyone. That's really rare, okay? Most college towns are not like this, right? Um, anyway, so um, what do we know about you? Enough about me. What do we know about you? Well, we know for one thing, you're some kind of students that are willing to waste a perfectly good Friday night coming to listen to some old fat guy with long hair talk about mission, right? Um, and if you're listening to the, they're recording this, if you're listening to this in the future and you're confused, I, this, is, I, this was recorded before I got cast in that Marvel movie and had that big transformation where I was turned into like this peak specimen of physical masculine athleticism. So that, this is before. Right, okay, yeah, so. Um, so you're here for the Connect Retreat. You guys are gonna be putting on this retreat, right? You're gonna be putting on the events around the week and the month following, and then kind of taking a, a leadership role in the engagement going forward to try to reach this campus, right? To, to the town, to, to try to reach out and spread the gospel and create with God, right? And, and, and so ultimately you're here because you love God. You're here because you love God and because you want to share that. You want to bring people into that. So, yeah, there's a, there's a retreat coming. You've got responsibilities. You each have your own type of responsibilities. But, and this is going to, I'm going to try to make this as relevant as possible to that. But this is, this is bigger than that, what we're talking about. This is bigger. This is, I'm going to talk to you a lot about things that you might not get to apply until you're gone, until you're someplace way different. Than AM, right? So, why am I here? You know, quick, I want to give you a quick history of kind of who I am and how I came to be this weird guy. Um, I was, I had just, I was raised Catholic, barely Catholic, <laughs> just like, you know, kind of Catholic like Yar, you know, like you're Irish or something. And, you know, a cultural Catholic, I would call it, but I wouldn't really call it culture. Um, and, um, uh, I, my, and my mom and dad got divorced when I was like 13. And then mom, my dad hasn't darkened the door of his church unless I'm always being married or buried since then. And my mom ended up leaving the church and becoming a non-denominational charismatic. So I was kind of like going to mass still in high school, but it's kind of, I was kind of putting my foot in the ground like something's going to not change. I'm going to keep making this not change, right? But that wasn't really life-giving. You know, and then later on, I had this big conversion. I went to my mom's youth group. I had this big conversion. I gave my life to Christ. That, but that was in that process. I left the Catholic Church, and I was gone for like six years. And in that process, when I was when I when I converted, I was like this young guy. I, you know, I skateboarded for fourteen years in a much very long time ago, in a much older, thinner age, and I um. And so, you know, and I played drums in a punk band and stuff. It's like I was like, and I just had all these friends that were like, couldn't wait to get out of this little redneck town that we grew up in and go to art school and read books and do this stuff. And, so, and here I am, I got converted in this little church 
that's kind of full of the people they're trying to get away from and the culture they're trying to get away from. And that's the only connection I had to Christ, but I wanted to share it with these people. I started thinking, what, how can I, how can I marry these two? You know, how can I, how can I, and, and I started realizing I got to make a place. I have to find some kind of context. So from the, I mean, from within weeks of me having a conversion, I started thinking about how do I reach people that you can't reach with the typical means that the Christian church uses to reach people? Like younger than you, I was thinking about that. And that's just what I've been doing this whole time <laughs> in different ways in different places. It's taken me all over the country, made me do all kinds of crazy stuff. And, um, but ultimately, that's it. You have something, you've experienced something, or let's be honest, you're experiencing something. There might be people in this room that last year you were someone who was kind of, you showed up at AM and you were planning on, now I'm away from my parents, I don't have to do that whole church thing, I'm done. And someone got you <laughs> and invited you in and welcomed you and gave you some hospitality and you, you kind of got connected to community and now you're sitting here, a student leader, wanting to share your faith, wanting to help, right? So you're going to be doing the same thing. So over the... Over the, um, over the years, this work has kind of gotten more and more defined into what I do. And in that process, there's just been some insights, both for the specific reaching of very deeply unchurched people, but just in general. Um, and um, now I'm supposed to be doing this in 45 minutes. Now, <laughs> okay, my my uh, they say used to say about my mom that if you asked her what time it was, she would tell you how to build a clock, and at the end of that, you'd still wouldn't know what time it was, and I kind of resemble that remark. Um, so we'll see. I got I've got the if I get this far, if I get this far, what we're gonna do because I'm gonna try. I don't want to rush too bad and cram it all in. But the two the two main concepts I want to talk to you about. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk about two concepts. And those are mission and hospitality. And maybe what those two things might have to do with each other. And then, so for context, like I said, we help people in a place like College Station or Columbia, Missouri or whatever for a repeated engagement, right? And then the second thing we do is we teach people how to be kind of in that space when they're on mission, right? So I'm gonna try to take, there's eight principles that our, uh, our apostle uses in our work for a very different context, trying to reach a very different kind of people. And I'm gonna kind of walk through those eight principles and try to apply as best I can these insights to, to what you have in front of you and what you're doing, being called to do in this world, okay? Um, so let's talk about mission. I use the word missional a lot. It's kind of more of a Protestant word Missional, but see, and you guys are young enough that it's probably not a big deal, but in, in the Catholic world, when you say the word mission or missionary, Catholics of a certain age and over, they start thinking about, you know, giving pennies to save pagan babies or something. You know, it's like it's something you do. So mission, classically in the Catholic Church, was the mission ad gentes, the mission to the nations. And that implication is we're in the West over here in Christian land. And then we go to Papua New Guinea where people have a bone in their nose or whatever and they worship some rock or whatever because we're not in the West where we're all Christian. And so you get on a boat or you get on a plane and then you go someplace and you get some land somehow, you buy it or steal it or take it or whatever, and you put some walls up 
because they're trying to kill you. And, <laughs> and then inside those walls, you do in there what you used to do over here, and then you build a little hole in the wall, and when they look like they're not trying to kill you too bad, you let them come in, and then you turn them into you. That was mission. As you can imagine, it was risky. <laughs> it still is, right? Um, and that's funny. I have, I have friends that have been on mission and stuff. I have a friend's family who's like three, four generations of um, bush pilot, missionary bush pilots in Papua New Guinea. That's why I use that example. Um, but now... Think about this. We're, we're in kind of, we're, I know you couldn't tell it by College Station, but we're kind of post-Christian at this point. Christendom is over. We're kind of moving into whatever this next phase of the world is. We had kind of early church apostolic times. They're trying to kill us. They don't understand us and they're trying to kill us. Then we got an emperor. You needed to Milan and things got legal. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, hey, we're, we're going to build big, pretty buildings and run the game. And that happened for a long time. We had all the land and all the money and an ocean of people with a vow of poverty to do all the work. And we had all the honor and the, we're the conscious of the country. And but that's kind of over. So now we're moving into a phase that is as different as getting killed by Nero was to building big, pretty buildings. We're moving into something that different from what we were in. So you used to have to get on a boat or a plane. Now you have to get in line at the coffee house three doors down from your house to find someone who has that different of a worldview from you, that different presupposition, that different way of looking at reality. I mean, that used to require international travel, you know, to be to find someone that different. You used to need a passport. Now you need a credit card, right? So the next concept I want to talk about is hospitality, okay? Um, a reading from the book of Wikipedia Hospitality refers to the relationship between a guest and a host, wherein the host receives the guest with goodwill, including the reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. An old guy from France with a name that I can't pronounce said um, that it was the virtue of a great soul that cares for the whole universe through ties of humanity. Now, I don't know, I don't even know what that means, but it makes me want to have a dinner party right there, you know? <laughs> Um, Danny Meyer that founded um, Union Square Grill, Blue Smoke and all that, Shake Shack he, um, he defined it as uh, hospitality as that blurring of the line between going out and coming at home you know and that's, I think that's my favorite definition of it, it's that welcoming thing right, but look at this, let's look at the Latin roots on this, it's from the Latin hospice, meaning host, guest, or stranger um, hospice formed from hostis which means stranger or enemy, the latter being where terms like hostile derive. So think about this, latter, hostile, stranger, enemy. This just starts sounding familiar, right? Hospitality is mission in reverse. Okay, the, rever the end is the same result. You go over there and you end up in an enclosed space with people that you're trying to reach that very well may kill you because they're very different than you. Hospitality, you invite them in, they come in, and you're in an enclosed space with people that very well may kill you, but you're trying to reach them, right? So it's risky on both sides, right? So what would a missional hospitality look like? Well, it was a, a going out that was kind of like a welcoming in or a welcoming in that was kind of like a going out, right? And that's kind of where we're at on it, right? Now, how does apply to you and connect? 
Well, in a bunch of ways. For one thing, you're going to have a thing, and you're going to invite people, and they're going to come in. That's hospitality. Some of you will be involved in literal hospitality. You'll be cooking and, and making things and feeding people and giving them stuff to drink. But that's more important. You're, there's, there's a welcoming. There's an invitation. There's a, a making room for and a certain empathy that in, turns into, you know, when, you, when, you, if, when you've gone to a dinner party or a good restaurant, what's one of the signs? Is that they knew what you wanted before you had to ask for it, right? You were just sitting there. You, you didn't say, hey, where's my fork? Oh, you dropped it and you didn't know. Here's another fork, right? There's a other focusedness, so to speak, on, on you from the host as guest, right? Um, there's a saying in, in India that the guest is God, right? We're going to get back to that. There's, there's some, there, they might have had a pretty good um, impulse on that. So, I want to talk about these, um, these concepts, these principles that we use in our work. Now, like I said, these things are often about building a place. But let me talk, or a, a space, or a, a location, right? So let me re repeat that that is a context for a repeated engagement. It is a way, a place, a situation in which you can have, right? And that is, and so that's what I mean by a place or a space, right? Um, so, and then we, what you do when you're in that space. So, so we're going to try to, this is really kind of a conversation. I'm going to be, it's going to continue in the practical where I'm going to basically, I'm basically singing my song for you. This is the song that I sing. And then I'm going to see you guys are going to make it your own. You're going to all do covers of the same song. Right? And you're going to sing it back in the way that it makes sense for your world. right? Um, so the first principle that we use is a concept that says begin with the end in mind. This is a very Aristotelian concept. You know, What are you doing? Well, well, the question is, what do you want? What are you doing it for? What's it for the sake of? You know, I see people all the time building things that the people that you're trying to reach would never walk into. And you already have a church. I ask people all the time, you have a church, why are you building a coffee house? Especially when they want to make the coffee house look exactly like the church, right? It's like, why, why, why are you, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Begin with the end in mind. So you're having an event. You're having a, you're having a conference. You're having a, a retreat. Why are you doing that? What are you hoping will happen? Who are you hoping will come? What are you hoping they will experience? What are you hoping they will feel while they're there? What are you hoping will, will, will be the outcome of it? Is it they're going to have some experience that's going to carry them and move them? Are they going to somehow connect and build a relationship that then can be followed up on? You have to think about these things. You have to think of who's coming, right? What's going, to, what's going to welcome them? What's going to be relevant to them? Now, here's where we start getting into meat of the things. Another principle that we have is, it says it's called in relationship and community. Now, this is one of the real heartbeats of what we do in the world. And I think that this is really relevant for you guys. Our, our idea is that, our firm conviction is that being in relationship, in community, is the ordinary context for any evangelization and certainly any discipleship. If you are not willing to pay the price 
to be in relationship, in community with someone, then you're not the person that gets to evangelize them. And it, you can stand on the side of the road and hold up a sign and randomly stop people and ask them what's on their t-shirt and then change the topic to Jesus. I just, I don't think that works. I think that you need to earn, you need to be day in, day out somehow in increasing. I guess what we're saying about this is that, how to say it, the, that this, this particular kind of relationship that you would call evangelization or discipleship is in fact an outgrowth and an aspect of normal human relationships, right? It's not, a, it's not an agenda. You're not selling spiritual Amway or something. You're not, you know, out looking to make a new friend, right? You're just, you're, it's an outgrowth of normal human relationship. Norm, I really, sometimes I want to, a friend of mine, Ann, and I say, well, I just want to look at the church sometime and go, normal, just be normal. Stop doing that. Don't. Why would you do that? Be normal. You know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, man. Um, another, an, the next principle is that you build for the other as other. Now, where are we phrasing from? Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas defined love as willing the good of the other as other, right? So there's a, um, there's, there's a famous um, brand. I don't know if it's I'm too dated, if anybody knows this brand. Have you heard of FUBU? F-U-B-U, you know that brand? Damien John founded it. It was a kind of an urban brand that started like in the 90s. Still is going on. He's one of the guys on Shark Tank. That guy, FUBU, right? And it stands, it's F-U-B-U. It stands for For Us, By Us, right? And boy, Catholics just love FUBU. We love For Us, By Us. We just love to build things and make them we call them evangelization and we make things and we make contexts and we make places that only Catholics would be interested in going to. Now I get it. Your part of your game is you're trying to catch a bunch of kids that have signed up for this retreat because they're Catholic. But you know, there's going to be a bunch of them that their mom signed up and they were thought they were going to get to college and ditch out on the whole religion thing. And if they really wanted to go to something that was all FUBU Catholic they wouldn't have wanted to quit, <laughs> but they did. So you might want to think about what can we do? What can we offer them? What can we show them? What can we let them experience? What can we surprise them with that is for them, not for us? You know, um, I like certain things, but I can't imagine. There's things that I could sit and go on and on and on about to you that I can't possibly imagine you would be interested in. I would enjoy it, but you wouldn't. Um, so that's, that's, that's another one, is uh, build for the other as other. Another really important one is, and, um, is called earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right to be heard. We kind of think that, oh, you know, we got the truth. They should listen to us. You know, we should, you know, and, no. no you, have to, you have to earn the right to be heard, and you earn that through things that maybe aren't particularly religious, through loving people and being there for them and, 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 and just being human and, and, and kind of showing up and providing things that they need. And, and, find, and, then, and then I'm going to go to the next, the next one here in a second that's going to be um, give you some ideas about how to do that. But the, the, you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to, you have to somehow get into their listen to you and they want to know what you're saying. Okay, and then the next one is anchor goods. 
Now, we call these things anchor goods. Lead with anchor goods. What do, what do we mean by anchor goods? Um, it's just a branding phrase that I came up with, honestly. But it's, um, it's, it's shared goods. These places where the, the desire and the vision of reality that you, the person that you're trying to reach overlaps with the Christian vision of reality. And a lot of these are not going to come from, like, your dogma. They're not going to come from, like, um, the very specifically religious aspects sometimes. It might be, yeah, a lot of them come from Catholic social doctrine, which we don't read a lot of. But things like the, things that you don't even think about are Catholic, like the deep care of creation. You know, taking nature seriously and following nature as a pattern, cooperating with nature. Now, we like to talk about nature if we're talking about gender, we're talking about what marriage is, but what about grass-fed beef? What about tomatoes? How about, you know, organic, regenerative organic? You know, you got Aggie people here. You guys should be leading the regenerative organic revolution, you know? But it's also just things like, um, I saw one of the, the gentleman that introduced me, I saw he's wearing an architectural thing. What about the design of neighborhoods? If you took the classical Catholic vision of reality and talked about that, you're going to want front porches on houses and clearly defined entrances and sidewalks over back decks. Why? So you know your neighbors. So there's community, right? So all these kind of things, these, these anchor goods, these things that two people can get together on. Now, you guys won't have that problem that much because it sounds like College Station has a lot in common. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of a shared tradition and a shared vision of reality here, but that's not always going to be the case, right? Um, okay, now we're getting down to the, I was just kind of hitting these. The, the one that I want to really kind of flesh out about is live with an awakened desire. Now, what do I mean by that? I think this is probably the most important one. So there's a guy named um, Father Julian Caron, and he's a, the, he replaced uh, Monsignor Luigi Giazzani as the, as the international head of communion liberation when he passed. And he wrote a book called Disarming Beauty. And in the first chapter of Disarming Beauty, um, Father Caron lays out in a very, very complex, dense set of text kind of this idea, and I'm going to kind of make it easy, a little more approachable. Okay, so you've got someone who has insufficient or incomplete answers. They're wrong. <laughs> they, they're, what they're saying is not correct. What they believe and they think is not correct. Let's say they are a materialist, okay? They think that reality is made up of atoms and the space in between them. There's just chill chunks of stuff and distance. Now, that's not true, because let's follow that out logically. Okay, so then everything that is different is just geometry. It's just the placement of these little bits of matter in the space in between them. So the difference between feeding a hungry child and eating a hungry child is just the location of where these bits of matter happen to be. It's just geometry, right? Well, that's clearly madness, right? But, but so we see someone who has these incomplete or insufficient answers, right? And we as Catholics, you know, we look at that, and there's a, a friend of mine who's a deacon. He has a, he said, to the man whose only tool is a hammer, every problem looks just like a nail. And when Catholics have one hammer, and that's information, 
We, we see that guy, he's got insufficient answers, and we're like, ah, this guy needs information. Let's get him some information. And we have two kinds of information. We have both kinds of information in the Catholic Church. We have catechesis and apologetics. So let's get this man some catechesis and some apologetics, and let's get this man some information, right? And Caron's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. He says, the reason he has insufficient or incomplete answers is because he is asking insufficient or incomplete questions. He's like, why is he doing that? Because his desire has not been awakened. He has dialed his longing for reality down to what he thinks is or that he knows. So whatever infinite, that desire for the infinite in his heart, that desire for something more, he's reinterpreted that as something else, right? And so Caron says, so he needs to get his desire awakened. Well, now the question is, how do you get your desire awakened? Well, for starters, Caron uh, says basically the same thing that Plato said about the good. You get around someone whose desire has been awakened. You spend time around someone who's living with an awakened desire, it activates your desire. Kind of a holy discontent. Kind of a, a longing that you can't put your finger on. And so that is, that is that, I think that is one of the most important things is to get your own desire awakened to kind of look at the places in our life where we have maybe just turned the faith or reality into kind of a punch list or a set of ideology or something and kind of tap back into that. You know, Augustine says our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, but, you know, really, that he also said call no man happy until he's dead. <laughs> so it's like that rest he's talking about is not because you've got the answer now. It's your really the reality is more like that U2 song, but you still haven't found what you're looking for. <laughs> yes, a U2 fan in the back. Yes, finally. Um, <laughs> so, so now I want to talk about a couple of ways that you can get your desire awakened. And all I can do is I can tell you what works for me. And that is, in the old, um, are, you, are you familiar with St. Benedict? Anybody St. Benedict? Um, the founder of Western monasticism. So before Benedict, there were monks, but they were out in the desert, weaving a basket, then unweaving the same basket, and then weaving it back up, and fighting off attacks from the devil or something, out in the desert someplace, throwing themselves in the hot sand when they had a thought. And, and then St. Benedict's like, no, 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 we gotta get, we got to get these people together. We gotta get them together, and we get a bunch of guys. We we'll get them together. We're gonna get them to, to live live a life. Now, anybody in here who's lived in a guy house knows that when you get a bunch of guys together, you need to have some rules because things can go real Lord of the Flies real quick. <laughs> so, because until we're married, we're basically beasts. Uh, and so he's like, okay, we gotta make some rules here. So we have the rule of Saint Benedict, right? So you're thinking. Okay, so the, and at the core of the rule of St. Benedict, there is a concept. And this concept says that you treat all strangers as if they are Christ. Now, let me put you in context, put it in context, what that meant. So, it's an ancient monastery. Dirty beggar comes up, knocks on the door, rings the bell. Ding, ding, ding. 
the porter comes, lets him in, takes this, and the first thing it says to do in the, in the rule is you take this stranger to the abbot. You take him to the guy in charge. What does the guy in charge do? He prostrates himself in front of the stranger. He treats, he acts to this dirty beggar the way we act to the Eucharist when it's in the monstrance and sitting on the altar in church during adoration. So that concept of the stranger is Christ. It's a very ancient concept too, by the way, in hospitality. You look at the Old Testament, you see theophanies like with Abraham and Sarah, you see um, uh, Melchizedek, you see in Greek mythology, Man, it was scary. It's like, I mean, if two strangers showed up, you took care of them because it might have been Zeus and Hermes. And if you didn't take care of them, it could go bad with you. So there's a very old concept of like the welcoming of strangers and the like deep taking care of them, right? Um, but getting back to the awakening of desire. You see, you thought I forgot my, that I lost my thought, which is really likely, by the way. But <laughs> so that there is a there is a concept there there's an experience that I've had that when I can really enter into that reality when I can see the person now for me I work in a hospitality context a lot I used to I don't get too much anymore I part of what I did that I didn't mention in my in my my history is I have worked in coffee houses owned coffee houses owned roasting companies and built coffee houses I have Managed them. I've built them and consulted on them. I have spent thousands upon thousands of hours pulling shots for every type of person you could possibly imagine. I've had shops where you would have a Catholic priest in line in front of a guy in a dress with a beard. Just, I mean, in the same shop. Just every possible people that you could imagine. I have spent 30 years talking to them across the bar, just sitting there, asking them questions and listening. And so I've figured out that at least in my own heart, especially when they're annoying customers <laughs> or somebody that you're just treating, kind of using you, kind of turning you into caffeine dispensary unit X49-376 and just like tossing their credit card at you and ordering off the Starbucks menu without looking at yours. Don't do that, by the way. Um, when I can look at that guy and go, no, that's Christ, and I lay my life down, when I do that, when I lay my life down in an act of the gift of self for him, that awakens me somehow. Another place you get awakened and is in, in the chapel. You go to the chapel, you steal your heart. You know, there's a, um, I was talking last night about it, uh, there, you know who St. John Vianney is, you know, the, the curry of ours? So everyone thinks the, the, the great saint of ours is St. John Vianney, but St. John Vianney would show up at his church, the one that he kept trying to get away from and go live in a monastery all the time, and then God kept sending him back to his church. He would show up, and there would be this old man in the front pew. And he'd see him there, and he'd go into confessional, and he would do like these eight-hour confession sessions, St. John Vianney would, right? And then he would come out and get ready to leave, and that old man is still just sitting there in the front pew. Every day he comes in, there's the old man, right? This goes on for months and months and months. Finally, St. John Vianney goes to the man. He's like, what are you praying for? He says, nothing. 
well, what are you doing here all day? He said, I look at him, and he looks at me. That's it. He's wasting time with God, in the words of Robert Barron. He's just wasting time with God. He's just spending time with the beloved in silence. Not in some kind of like, oh, rap, some kind of rapture. Just the way that when you have a relationship with someone that's gone to the deep, deep level of friendship and mutual love, that you can just sit quietly in their presence and be comfortable. Just maybe, maybe you just sit quietly and look at them. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you, do, you know, it's like you're, you're comfortable in silence in their presence. So go to the chapel. Let God look at you. If you're particularly still that day and you can kind of calm your heart and really be still and enter in, cool. If that's not working, bring a good book with you and just hang out with God and just sit there and read a book while God stares at you and watches you read a book. It's like I, you do that long enough and it'll, it'll open your heart up a little bit. Now, here's where the real kicker comes. Oh, that was loud. Sorry. Sorry. Um, um, is when you can combine those two. Dorothy Day used to talk about that you would go in adoration and sit there and stare at Jesus and worship him for hours and then step over Christ on the sidewalk without thinking twice when you walked outside. But then you have the opposite of that. You have Brother Lawrence in the practice of the presence of God. Brother Lawrence, and yeah, I love, he's go to adoration. He says, it doesn't really matter to me. I can be washing these pots and pans. I can be cooking. I can be buying the wine for the monastery for the year on a trip. I can be in the chapel in the presence of the Eucharist, it's the same as God. He, just, he would just practice that presence all the time. So when you can take that, that experience in the chapel and bring that back out and focus that at the stranger, focus that at the person that you're like calling on because they're, you got them assigned to you on some little sheet because they signed up and, on a data set for Connect, right? Then you can, then, and when you can see that person as Christ, It'll open your heart up, and when it opens your heart up and it awakens your desire, it'll awaken their desire. Now, the next one, and i got to hurry. <laughs> um, we started late, for the record. So, um, uh, Another principle we have is never answer unasked questions. You know, Reinhold Niebuhr said that there's nothing more incredible, and he meant like more shocking and more weird than an answer to an unasked question. So what do you mean by that? Look, when you live with an awakened desire, you have a context for a repeated engagement. We build the space. You have a relationship that you've made in the, in the cafeteria or in your dorm. You have a context for repeated engagement. You're living with an awakened desire. It is awakening that person's desire over time. And eventually that longing for reality, that longing for reality is... It'll come to a full fruition into a question. Why don't you just answer it at that point? How do you know it's time to bring up such and such? Like when they ask about it. Just live with an awakened desire in front of them. And when that reality, when that desire becomes a question, you answer it. Your job is to just live that way. So, and then finally is the idea is the lived attention of missional community. And you guys are basically a bunch of Catholic kids that are going to be going and reaching a bunch of other Catholic kids, some of which who are kind of lukewarm, and so there's not a ton of tension in that, in that sense. But when you start getting outside those bounds and you start reaching people that are pretty in church, you know, in, in Alpha, 
I, I was just talking to the, the leader of Alpha in a, in a, a Catholic context. Um, he, they used the phrase that we, they want people to belong, believe, and behave in that order, right? They, they start by just, so you got to create something that they can belong to. But they're belonging to this thing with you, and you're in this with them, and you're belonging, and they don't believe. And they come to some kind of belief that Jesus is Lord, whether the kerygma that your pastor was talking about at Mass. They come to a belief, but it hasn't really fleshed itself out yet. It hasn't really gotten down into like their decisions, like maybe that way they're living, maybe that thing that they're doing is not the thing. So there's like a, there's a tension there, and, and, and you're living that with them, right? And then eventually, you know, you're kind of there for them when they come to you, and maybe one of those questions they ask when the full longing kind of hits them is like, hey, should I be, should I be living with my girlfriend? Or should I be... Should I be doing this thing that I'm doing? Is that wrong? I mean, is that conducive to what we're trying to do? We like to start with that, like, no, don't. You're bad. Stop doing that. They're saying, go the other direction. Start with belong. Get belief, and then let the belief take care of that to a certain extent. Right? Um, oh, man, I'm running out of time. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about how you can be a place. You can be a space. You can be a context for a repeated engagement. You can be a place, a home for a possible encounter with Christ, right? Um, the first thing I want to talk about is be present, right? And what do I mean by that? For starters, put your phone away. Take your earbuds out. Don't have a screen in front of you all the time. Be present, you know, I went to, I built a, ca a coffee house at Wyoming Catholic College called Crux Coffee Bun. And I was up there training the staff and hanging out with the, the kids at Wyoming Catholic. And I was, I was struck by them. There was something different about these kids. I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, they're Catholic. I'm like, well, I'm around a lot of Catholic kids. I'm like, well, they're reading the great books. Well, I went to Thomas Quince College. I read the great books. I'm around all kinds of people that read the great books. That can't be it. I'm like, what is it? They're like something different. I have it's a familiar. I haven't felt this in a while. Oh, they haven't had cell phones for a year. You're talking to them and they're not going anywhere. You don't see that those eyes kind of accessing laughter. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not breaking eye contact, which I have to say, I have been very, very shocked and happy with how present the students I've engaged with at AMR. So normally I give this talk and I'm like kind of, I'm kind of giving one shake and a bunch of thumbs up at AM. So I already hit silence and meditation in the chapel. So I'm not going to hammer that because we're running out of time. Um, the final thing I want to talk about is loving the stranger with the love of the Father. Now that's, that sounds abstract. But here's the thing is that, and work with me here for a second, because it's going to sound strange at first. You're like, I, there's this person, and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and there's this person that doesn't have a relationship with and I want that person to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, I don't, it's just not bad, but, but think about if I said, I have a relationship with Carolyn, and I really want someone else to have a relationship with Carolyn. I want to go find them and talk to them and take them over there and dump them off and let them have a relationship with Karen. And it's like, I would suddenly have, this person will be a project. And I'm trying to 
get them and figure out how to work this out to get them over to Carolyn, right? But it's different when, if I, what I'm, I'm wanting you to do is part of that tapping into that desire, that real longing for reality is the longing for community with this person. But not just for themselves and as yourself. Like when you're in the chapel, kind of like letting God break your heart for that person. Letting God give you and let you tap into his love for that person though, where you start wanting relationship with that person, with the love of the Father, right? You know, in the scriptures, Christ says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, right? And, well, how did, how did the Father send the Son? St. Paul tells us, while we, were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, what does that look like? We've got the story of the prodigal son. And it says that the father, while he was yet a far way off, he saw him and he ran. He was looking. He was looking and he was still very far away, but he was searching the horizon for him. He was looking for him with this longing look, right? That's the love of the father. And that's what we have to tap into. Finally, I want to real fast hit a couple of, this is practical. He said he's going to give me some practical tips. I'm like, I don't know. These are practical, actually. They're kind of abstract. But this is a practical thing. I call it practical charity or empathy. And that just, you know, if you say you're going to follow up, follow up. Ping them. Shoot them a text. You know, actually follow through with what you're doing to do those little moves, those little things the way that I would hand somebody a glass of sparkling water when I serve them an espresso when they didn't ask for it. Or I would ask them if they need anything else or I would see that someone dropped the napkin and then show up with a new napkin. These little things that say, oh, I am other focused and I care about you and now I'm going to see this and do it. Do whatever those little things are in your world, do those things. A little simple one is just remembering people's names. Um, I'm... <laughs> really bad. Anyone who knows me that's listening to this talk is going to go, you are the worst at names of anyone I know. And I am. And you know what I do? If I met you this weekend, I guarantee you, I either forgot your name or I repeated it about three times in our first conversation. Because if I don't, I'll forget. <laughs> and I did it. I did it to Catherine twice <laughs> this weekend. So you have to, I'm a little ADD. There's mercy. But, okay, I'm a lot ADD, but, but there's mercy. But just all these little things, and you know what those are in your world, and you want to know what they are, what would you want? What would you feel like someone wasn't taking you seriously or really respecting your dignity? Do that, right? Um, all right, so these things are things that I figured out from a very different context, working on mission, with a very different group of people. But I've applied these, you know, I've worked in a very Catholic context, and I applied these very same principles to Catholic famous people that you know if I drop their name. <laughs> and then some of them, they were annoying, and I had to treat them as Christ as a stranger. <laughs> but, you know, so that this, I found out that some of these things are a little more universal. And so, like I said, this is like, I'm up here, I'm going to sing my song, then you're going to do a cover of it that makes sense of whatever it is in your world. And hopefully you got a nugget or two that made sense. All right? Thank you very much. Appreciate it.